we think about our kind of responsibility that we have in building our product. And you could build a product that is profitable and purely deserves Western world, well-developed US audience who work on their MacBooks all day and have access to heaps of technology and resources. But we actually see it as a responsibility of ours to bring the power of Canva to everyone in the world, which means that it not only has to work on your expensive laptop, it also has to work on a cheap Android phone that someone in Brazil or Indonesia can only afford. And really it's those people who can probably have the biggest impact with Canva because it can help them create a resume which gets their first job or create that pitch deck which helps them fund their first business which then has ripple effects through their community. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Cameron Adams is the founder and chief product officer of Canva. It's a free online collaborative graphic design platform. It currently has 110 million monthly active users in over 190 countries, and it's helped create more than 15 billion designs. As of 2021, Canva is now valued at $40 billion. But prior to co-founding Canva, Cameron worked with Lars and Jens Rasmussen, co-founders of Google Maps to help design Google Wave. My first question though for Cam was about his early influences. Was he into graphic design? And did he realize or did he ever think he would become the business person he is today? First off, I'll say it's really great to be here with you, Robert, and it's always exciting to talk to a Canva user. So thank you for letting me know that. In terms of my history, so I grew up in Melbourne, Australia, which is kind of down the very bottom of the globe. And I had a had a childhood growing up around technology. I wouldn't say I was like deeply embedded in it, but my dad actually owned a computer shop and we used to hang around there a lot. My brother and I would kind of steal games off the shelf and, and play them on our computer and then quietly put them back on the shelf. But one of the things my dad did with his business partner was they created a piece of software. And this was back in the days of MS-DOS. So it was kind of a command line program. And they actually created accounting software, which I think was quite novel at the time. It kind of predated stuff like MYOB and Xero. And they focused in on tradespeople because they saw that plumbers, electricians had real problems doing their books and, and keeping their accounts up to date. They built this piece of software. And I think it was quite successful within that niche of of tradespeople, particularly here in Australia. And they did that for, I don't know how many years, it was probably over 10 years. But that was probably the start of me kind of subconsciously thinking about building things, being in software, understanding technology, being native to a computer, but not really thinking about like diving into a computer and, and making it my life's mission. And I think I got to university and started doing computer science and a whole bunch of things clicked together for me. I actually did law and computer science at university 
And neither of those things were like, I'm definitely going to do that. My passion was graphic design. I actually got a job as a part-time graphic designer to put myself through university and worked on the university newspaper as well. And really enjoyed that. And I think, yeah, that's definitely where my passions lay. And after I left university, I actually just started up my own design agency and pretty much did that for six years. So I, I never had a real job after leaving university. Well, a real job that you would consider a job, right? Because you in, you enjoyed it. It sounds like you loved and have always loved design. I want to ask you if you think back and go back to growing up, and and I remember those computer shops because I'm older, and you know, <laughs> I'm remembering kind of MS DOS and 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 the video games on the shelves, and that must have been pretty cool having a dad that owned the shop and and being able to play those games. But when you think back to your dad and seeing what he did with the shop and then building a software, is there anything that he gave you or you learned that to this day you really feel was something that inspired you or has helped you as an entrepreneur? I think seizing opportunities and really working through adversity. So, I mean, they developed their software. It ultimately didn't end up growing. I think it was just the wrong time. It was a piece of command line software. So making the leap into the visual area, visual era was a bit tough for them. But he was always ready to seize a new opportunity and, and take a new idea and take that risk. And I think as an entrepreneur, you need to be willing to take that risk. Like you have to try something that other people haven't tried before. You have to try something that people are afraid of trying. And he really instilled that in me. And for that, I really thank him. You know, you said you had come out of school and and had obviously spent money, studied. I think you said law uh, is in, I mean, thinking you might become a lawyer. And then you end up going in and it sounds like following a passion of, of graphic design. Was that a difficult decision for you at the time to, number one, go into graphic design and number two, start your own business, it sounds like? I think right at the end of university, it wasn't a difficult decision. At the start of university, it was because I really wanted to do graphic design, but this kind of social pressure to do something a bit more you know, grandiose. So that's why I ended up in law because I could do it. And I had access to it at university. But definitely through that five years of university, I learned that I didn't like law very much, which was a great learning, and that I had other skills and stuff that I wanted to do. So by the end of university, I think I'd really found myself. And for that, that was probably the most valuable part of university for me is truly understanding what I wanted to do, what skills I had, and how I could bring those to the world. So by the time I left university, I was, I was pretty sure on that. And I knew that I could run a small business, like I'd worked with clients a lot throughout that time. And it gave me the confidence to just go out on my own, not necessarily have someone else giving me a pay packet, but be able to forge my own path and actually craft something that I had built from scratch and that I drove entirely myself. You know, thinking about that and thinking about going out and starting your own business, and obviously it sounds like you were pretty confident at the time in what you were doing, but was there still some difficulty 
number one in thinking, hey, maybe I should be doing something else when you're thinking of graphic design? And number two, was it difficult or was there ever a time you thought to yourself, maybe this isn't going to work out for me? I don't think it was difficult in terms of the graphic design element. It was something that I really enjoyed and it was something that was also starting to really change. So I think I'm of the same vintage of you. I was around in around 2000 and the internet gone through a whole bunch of stuff, had gone through a massive peak, gone through the dot-com crash, and it was just starting to emerge and find itself again. And I started transitioning from graphic design to web design because I had this background in computer science, which lent itself well to marrying with the pure design aspects of graphic design. So my business morphed into a digital web design agency. And it was truly exciting because we were breaking new ground, like new technology was being created, new ways to use that technology was being thought of. And I was part of this scene called the web standards scene, which was like developing fundamental parts of the internet, which we take for granted today. So what you see in a browser, how it's represented, how you create interactive experiences, we were still figuring all that out. And I actually started writing about a lot of this stuff on my blog. And that's where I kind of started to transition from just being a design agency into someone who was leading the way and pushing the boundaries of technology. And in about 2007, that ended up with me creating a connection at Google. Someone recommended me there through the work that I was doing. And they recommended me for somewhat secretive role. I didn't know what I was walking into, but they said, go talk to this guy at Google called Lars Rasmussen. And I walked into the office in Sydney and met Lars and he started telling me about this project. Lars Rasmussen is an amazing person. He's one of the co-founders of Google Maps. And they had started thinking about what they were going to do after Maps at Google. And they came up with this project called Google Wave, which was a next generation communications platform that they had been wanting to build way before they even thought about Google Maps. And they thought that now is the time. So they were assembling a team and they had a small internal team of about five people. So it was Lars, his brother Jens, and a few engineers. And they needed a designer to really help them shape the experience. So they actually brought me in as a contractor onto this super top secret project. No one else in Google knew about it. And it was in this meeting room that had all the walls blanked out so no one could look inside. And I spent about six months in this very small, slightly sweaty room with them building the prototype, which they eventually took to Larry, Sergey, and Eric to get greenlit. And they got a very enthusiastic green light, and they said that they should hire the designer that helped them build it. So I've moved from a contractor at Google to a full-time employee at Google in a very short space of time and spent the next four years building that product with them. It was a bit of a roller coaster. It kind of stayed secret for a very long time inside Google. And when we eventually pulled the covers off it, it was a bit controversial because there was lots of other stuff happening in the same space across Google, stuff like Google Docs, Google Sheets, and even Gmail. So there was somewhat of a slightly competitive aspect to it internally. Um, and then when we launched it, it was a massive launch. We were center stage at Google I.O. And it really made a lot of people's jaws drop. I think the problem it hit, though, is that it was a really great tech demo. There was so much in it, so many different things you could do, but that made it really hard to land our first core users. 
Um, and that's one of the learnings that I took into my next startup and the startup after that, which was Canva, which is to really focus on a pain point that a customer is having and solve that for them and make them a passionate advocate for what you're doing so you can continue to grow. It's such a great, you know, when you just said that in the learning experience, and it sounds like even when you go back to college and learning what you kind of didn't want to do, and it's such a valuable lesson in life and figuring out too that this product that you had put a lot of time, effort, many people, it had to be simplified, right? And learning that when you left Google prior to Canva, what was the startup between that and Canva? So we didn't quite learn our lesson that communications <laughs> is a really hard area to go into. And two other engineers at Google left with me and we formed a startup called Fluent, which was focused on email. So Google Wave was all about creating an entirely new platform. And we discovered that it is really hard to switch people away from email. Like it's a very tough thing to prize out of people's hands. So we started looking at email itself and saying, okay, if we can't move people away from it, can we make their experience better? And we built a pretty forward-looking email program that took the basic underpinnings of email, but made it way more efficient, more enjoyable to use and much more powerful. And we created a great product. It had some really passionate users. We bootstrapped it entirely. And we did that for about a year. We kind of came unstuck when we got a bit too much attention. And we were a very small startup working in a space that is quite expensive. So running email is actually quite an expensive business, particularly when you don't have the scale of servers that Google or Microsoft might have. So it was quite expensive for us to bring on customers. And we got some early attention through a news article that got written and our wait list on the product exploded. We went from probably about 100 people using our product in, in our test phase to having 80,000 people knocking down the door wanting to use it. And we just couldn't bring them on. We hadn't set up our payment model or anything like that. So we were confronted with this problem of like, what do we do with this opportunity of hundreds of thousands of people wanting to use the product, but not being able to afford to actually like bring them onto it. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, uh, we had a lot of investors spot this opportunity and be like, we will give you all the money you need to, to scale this product. And we thought it was just like a golden opportunity. So we dived into investments and trying to get investment, which we hadn't really thought of before, and started talking to investors. We journeyed from Sydney to San Francisco to talk to a whole bunch of contacts we had there. And we discovered that although investors like to say that they're going to give you a lot of money, it's actually exceptionally hard to get them to sign that final check. And we spent about two months traipsing up and down Sand Hill Road, all through the Bay Area, talking to this connection and this connection. And each person you would talk to would be like, it's awesome. I can't quite be the first person in, but maybe this person will be the first person in. And they kind of lead you down the path. And we did, I don't know how many pitches, but we were just frantically driving around, following whatever lead we could. We ultimately didn't land it. We got very close. We had a like a short time term sheet signed and then it collapsed at the final, final um, hurdle. And we kind of came back to Sydney with our tail between our legs 
we devoted a lot of time to fundraising and not so much time to product development during that time. So the product had kind of fallen into a little bit of a heap. So that moment had just kind of passed and we'd ended up with product that was now a bit broken. It would take a bit of time to reestablish. Investment hadn't panned out. I had a child and a mortgage at the time and my other founders had to pay the bills as well. And we were assessing what we we're going to do with our lives, whether we should dive deeper into this thing and continue to try and make it work or whether we took one of the acquisition deals that we'd been offered during our time in San Francisco. It was very fortunate that right at that moment, my old boss, Lars, came to me and said, hey, there's two people who just moved to Sydney from Perth and they got this great idea, but they don't quite know how to build it. You should go talk to them. And I met Melanie Perkins and Cliff Obrick. So tell us, tell me about that first meeting and talking to them and the idea. So they had moved over to Perth, uh, from Perth to Sydney with a small business that they had at the time, which was called Fusion Yearbooks. And this was a business that was centered on creating yearbooks for high schools. So they'd spotted a problem where high schools spent lots of time and money and worked with external designers and agencies to get their yearbooks produced. And it was a really long and laborious process. And they had uh, worked with a team to build this, actually a piece of flash software that let uh, schools design their own yearbooks. And it had grown pretty well. It was you know, pretty successful for a yearbook business in Australia, but they were looking to scale that up. And I went in to talk to, to Mel and heard about her vision for how they were going to take it from yearbooks to all sorts of design and what that would look like, ultimately what the vision for Canva was. And it excited me. I wasn't quite ready because there was still like a, a little beating heart inside Fluent. I was still trying to get that off the ground. And I heard the idea. It was fascinating to me because of my background in graphic design and technology, but I kind of wished them well and gave them a little bit of advice on some of the technology they did use and walked off back to Fluent for a couple of months. When it totally turned out the Fluent was, wasn't going to happen and the only possibility for my future career was to move to San Francisco, it was actually my wife who said, why don't you go talk to Mel and Cliff again? So I went back to them and said, hey, how's your idea going? Have you managed to get funding? How's your team? Uh, and they said, you know, we haven't been able to make that much progress. So I said, well, why don't we join together and see what we can do? And that was July 16, 2012, which is close to 11 years ago. And since then, we have just had a roller coaster of a ride. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible what you've built in a $40 billion valuation. And just, as I said, a user and Canva and, and anyone I talk to knows it, which is pretty incredible. And what I love is that it must have been so difficult for you at that time with Fluent and closing, you know, having to, to stop that. And then this new opportunity, they hadn't really gotten off the ground, so to speak. Was that a difficult time for you personally? Were you questioning, like, even though your wife had told you to go back and talk to them? Or did you jump right into it and be like, this is going to work? It was difficult. I wouldn't say it's, it was the most difficult part of my life. It was, you know, from fluence, seeing that not quite go to plan, it lowers your risk appetite a little. But I think inherent in me and 
you know, and any successful entrepreneur, you always want to take a bit of risk and you need to see the opportunity that other people can't see. And I definitely saw that in Canva. We were going through, we'd probably eaten through most of our savings, my wife and I. She had spent a bit of time building her own business. I had just spent over a year not working. We just had a new daughter who was one year old at that time. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of family pressure, but we both understood who we were, like my wife and I, and we both understood that we needed to build new ideas and build new things and take risks. So she was very much behind giving it another go, rolling the dice. And I think with Canva, I really resonated with Mel and Cliff because through my previous experiences with my own company, with Google, with Fluence, through all of that, I've learned a tremendous amount about what I could do and what skills I could bring and what I was good at but also about the team that I needed around me, the team that I needed to work with and what their strengths and skills should be. And I instantly recognized that in Mel and Cliff, in their operational excellence, their business understanding, their huge vision. We just fitted together really well. And it definitely felt like the best team that I had been part of for you know 15 years. It's turned out that, that we are a pretty good team and that we do fit together pretty well. And through the course of Canva, we've worked together well and augmented each other, supported each other, being able to lean into our strengths and really push forward product or operations or running the whole company as as each of us does. So it was worked out really well on that risk that we took together. None of us knew each other. And we pretty much chatted for about probably six hours before we decided to form this business together. But I think we all took that risk, but we did it with uh, consideration and with calculation and all with an understanding of what we needed to get out of each other. Was there a time ever early on you decided to do this? You guys all partnered together. They, you know, was kind of at a, a phase they needed you. You, like you said, needed them. But was there a period early on that you faced some major challenges and maybe thought that this might not work? To be honest, I don't think we never thought this might not work. There were some some major challenges that you have to deal with, but you just kind of get on with them and figure out the solution. Yeah, there's been different moments where a funding round fell apart and we had to go and find another investor. But out of that, you generally come off better. Like there was one moment where an investor totally pulled the rug out from under us and decided to revalue the company. And we were like, well, what the hell are we going to do now? Mel and Cliff flew off to San Francisco. I think this was just prior to Christmas. So they flew off, I think, on December 19 to pull together another round. And ultimately out of it, we got a better deal. We found better investors who were willing to offer us better terms and believed in, in the future of the company. So even through those darkest moments, working together, sitting back and saying, okay, this looks like a bad spot, but what are our options? How can we work this and where can we find a path out of it is always how we've worked together. And no matter what problem comes towards us, I think the three of us and also the massive team around us now are real problem solvers. And we just, if a hurdle comes our way, we figure out how to jump over it. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. 
Dreaming of financial independence while positively impact your own and a student's life? The Huntington Learning Center franchise is the answer. Join the nation's number one revenue producing K through 12 tutoring and test prep provider with a proven system that has worked for more than 45 years. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup investment, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a rewarding and profitable business and no education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. Take the next step. Learn how you can join Huntington Learning Center today and be part of a growing $5 billion industry. Call Huntington today at 1-800-653-8400 or visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Again, call 1-800-653-8400 and get started today. And we're back. When you look at Canva, and I'd love if you can just kind of give us a rundown of the business, how it started, what it is, and then take us forward to where it is today and what you're doing. And of course, going through a pandemic where I know you guys saw some pretty good growth. Can you do that for us? Yeah. So the mission of Canva is to empower the world to design. And we all strongly believe that design is a superpower that every person should be able to access. Way back in 2012, we had a huge vision of all the different areas that design could influence, but you can't build that product from day one. You can't build a product that fits every need, solves every person's problem. So for the first couple of years, we really focused on social media because it was the perfect moment for a tool like Canva to come out and support the people who were just beginning to explore how you could use social media to communicate visually. So we work quite closely with social media managers, marketers, and small business folk who really needed to get their story out on social media and do it in a really engaging way. The first version of Canva, I haven't fired it up in a while, but I'm pretty sure I'd be embarrassed of it. But it did the job really well of taking some images, some text, putting them together in a really engaging, visually attractive way and letting people post it on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and start to drive traffic and engagement through their social account. And I think we're really fortunate with that very early audience because social media marketers love to talk about what they're doing and the tools they're using. And we started seeing so many of them start talking about Canva, recommending it to their peers, running sessions on how to use it. And they were kind of really the perfect first audience that you want to have to spread your product virally. The product has progressed over the years. So we've moved from just being like a static social media tool to being a presentations tool to being something that you can make your t-shirts on, your flyers on. You can now make videos on Canva. And we're starting to fill out that really huge vision that we had 11 years ago and knocking off all the different areas that we want to tackle and bring design to. In the last two or three years, I think we've all really obviously seen a shift in the way that people work and the way that they communicate. And the pandemic has totally changed, I think, the way teams operate and collaborate together. 
And we saw a massive spike right at the start of COVID in the number of people using our presentations product. So I think we're sitting at about probably 20 million presentations being created a month. And as COVID spiked, we saw it go 30, 40 million a month. And we, we saw this and started to realize that this was going to harbor bigger changes to the way people worked and bigger changes to the way that they need to communicate and communicate visually. Because I think when you're working in a much more hybrid world, where you're not necessarily in meeting rooms with people, where people are working all sorts of different odd hours, uh, you might be talking to them over text or email or Slack, or you might be filming a video that you share with them later for them to consume. The ways in which you communicate become really important and the engagement that you get through that communication is really important. So a long word doc doesn't cut it anymore. Just talking to someone in real time doesn't cut it anymore. And communicating visually has really come to the fore. We've seen that through people using Canva presentations. We hit the milestone of a billion presentations created in Canva uh, just a couple of months ago. We see that in the use of our video product. So not only is it used for social media videos, but it's also used a lot for internal communication. People presenting their presentation, recording that, sending it to their colleagues, people putting together internal hype videos for a new product or idea that they want to see their team tackle. Video has become a really important part of the workplace. And we've kind of reassembled Canva now into a complete platform that allows you to take your idea from something that's just in your head all the way through ideation, communication, rallying your team, all the way through the marketing for the product once it's finished. And you can now entirely do that on Canva. And we pulled the covers off that back in September at an event we called Canva Create. And we had an amazing response. We launched the visual work suite there. And you can see it on our homepage. We kind of remapped our homepage so that you can see this flow from idea to reality. And you can start in Canva now with a whiteboard where you can just have a really fluid exchange of ideas, really rough and ready. Take that whiteboard into a long form document that we've used together text and imagery and videos. You can take that document, turn it into a pitch deck with one click. So you can take that content, turn it into a pitch deck that you can present over Zoom in person or record and send off to, to the folks you're trying to influence. And from that pitch deck, you can turn that into your product, do all the marketing, all the social media, create a website for it in Canva. It is truly now the full visual communications platform. And we're really starting to bite off that huge vision, which we established 11 years ago. When you look back 11 years and you think about those plans, all the things that have happened and just even saying with this platform right now, were you as a team able to envision, did you really envision all of these different things at that point? I think we, yeah, you have different levels of vision. There's some that's quite fully formed and you know exactly how it's going to arrive on the screen. And there's other areas where you just have big ideas and it's in the back of your head, but you don't quite poke it just yet because you don't need to spend the time diving into that. So stuff like video and websites was always in the back of our mind. Exactly how it would manifest wasn't quite there 11 years ago. But 
11 years is a great time to evolve and mature and develop your thinking and understand how your customers are going to interact with a huge platform like Canva is now. So we've definitely evolved and shaped our vision over time. But most of the vision that we've delivered today is stuff that we've thought about since day one and definitely stuff that that Mel has thought about for a long time as our CEO and also our chief vision officer. One thing I don't think you realized back in those early days of the startup is just the impact and what the scale of your vision actually looks like when it happens. So it's a great idea to have this product that everyone in the world can use, but when it actually happens, it's quite humbling. And we now have 110 million people using Canva every single month. And that is just an astounding number. Like the number of designs that get created every second, uh, I think we're up to probably somewhere around about 50 designs being created every second, which is just a mind-blowing number when you think that from now to now, 100 people created 100 pieces of content that are going to influence something out there in the real world. It is jaw-dropping and incredibly humbling. And we actually just hit the milestone two days ago of having 15 billion designs created in Canva. And what I really love about that is that every single one of those designs has a story behind them, a story of someone wanting to achieve something. And it's those stories when we stumble across them that really excite us and continue to drive our passion for building Canva and taking design to even more and more different areas. Because those stories run the gamut from the person who started their first business, the person who's taken their very first bar of soap down to the Sunday market to sell with their branding on the outside of it, person who has created a pitch deck for their startup that just got funding, a person who runs an orphanage and uses Canva for the newsletter, which ultimately helps the kids find a new home. Like every design has one of these stories of someone wanting to achieve something and Canva helping them do that, even in just a small way. So it's really our customers and our community which keep us passionate and coming back day, day after day after day. When you think about yourself as a graphic designer, a designer, obviously, from when you were young and putting it into a business now and thinking that you've built this incredible business that is really there so everyone can enjoy or can design kind of like you did. And you say that number 15 billion, how does that make you feel with all these incredible stories and opportunities you've you've helped people really achieve. I think it, it makes me really proud of what we've built and really proud of assembling a team of people who continue to help us scale that and take it to new areas. We've got 3,500 people at Canva now working on all different parts of the product. And they're all just as passionate about the area and as connecting with our customers as I am. And they're constantly coming up with new ideas, new products that we can build, new ways in which we can help people to express themselves, unlock their creativity, communicate visually. And it's exciting to see that 15 billion number, but it's also exciting to look internally and see all the people inside Canva who are building their careers, working in the best jobs of their lives, 
and having a real impact. And I think thinking about that impact that we can have as an organization is also something that I'm really proud of as well, which feeds into this thing that we call our, our two-step plan. Step one is to, to build one of the most valuable companies in the world, which we're on our way to. And step two is to do the most good we can in the world. And that has fed into our whole philosophy about how we run our organization, the impact that we can have, the programs that we run, like Canva for Education and Canva for Nonprofits, where we give our product away entirely for free to teachers and students and nonprofit organizations, and to stuff like the Cam Foundation, which we founded a few years back and is now finding really new and unique ways to tackle poverty all around the world. Yeah, that's incredible just in terms of the good and the opportunity and what you just mentioned on, you know, I'm part of a, an organization or, or a charity here in New York that serves 40,000 underserved children in New York City with after-school programming. And I oh, wow. think about, which is incredible, it's called New York Edge. And these kids, they don't have activities after school. They, they A lot of them don't even have homes to go back to. They go to shelters. And for what you just said in terms of providing this, like it's amazing with what you have offered and I'm sure around the world in in different places where a child maybe who never may have become a designer or created something or built a business, that's got to also feel really good that you're allowing or giving that to that person for free, as opposed to even just the business person. Or, I mean, that to me, I bet is something that is an incredible feeling as well. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you're involved with an organization like that. So I hugely applaud you for it. We think about our kind of responsibility that we have in building our product. And you could build a product that is profitable and purely just serves Western world, well-developed US audience who work on their MacBooks all day and have access to heaps of technology and resources. But we actually see it as a responsibility of ours to bring the power of Canva to everyone in the world, which means that it not only has to work on your expensive laptop, it also has to work on a cheap Android phone that someone in Brazil or Indonesia can only afford. And really it's those people you can probably have the biggest impact with Canva because it can help them create a resume which gets their first job or create that pitch deck which helps them fund their first business, which then has ripple effects through their community. So yeah, I think it is, it is amazing what a tool like Canva can do by bringing something that people didn't have access to before. They didn't have access to expensive software. They didn't have access to the skills of design but they had amazing ideas and things they wanted to communicate. And Canva helps them do that and get off the ground. You know, I want to, before we let you go, ask you just a couple more questions. And, and one is when we look at AI and we look at some of these new technologies and how quickly it's moving, have you thought about that and the future of Canva and how that might integrate or what that might look like? Yeah, we've focused a lot on AI. In the past year, we've had machine learning teams at Canva for a long time. 
But in the past year, it has really hotted up and the leaps and bounds that the technology has made has been incredible. We've worked very hard to integrate AI into Canva responsibly and creatively and in a really inspiring way. And we actually launched a couple of things late last year. One of them was text-to-image. Any idea that you have into an image just by typing it into the box and clicking a button. And the other one was Magic Write, which pairs with our Canva Docs product, which we launched as part of the Visual Work Suite. So you can create your Canva Doc, you can really beautifully interleave text and imagery and videos, and you also have access to Magic Write, which is a box that you can ask for any idea to start something with. So you can start off a cover letter for your resume in it. You can ask it for some great blog topics about the World Cup you can ask it for the start of a little story that you want to tell. And we very much see AI as an assistant, a creative aid, a helper that can help you overcome the fear of a blank page. And it's really good at doing that. So often if you're thinking about a document, a strategy document, or a story that you want to tell, sitting in front of that white screen with nothing on it, can be really fear-inducing. And we see AI as a really great way of kickstarting that. So giving you a starting point, it's not going to give you the whole story. It's not going to give you the whole document, but it gets you over that initial barrier, which then unlocks you and helps you start putting in your own creativity, putting in your own ideas and shaping it into the final product. And we see, we see AI as having a fantastic role in, in shepherding that for you starting off with the initial idea, taking your input, massaging it, and helping you in the end create a much higher quality output in a shorter amount of time. How great is it a feeling of, you know, you're going down the, the route of an email business, right? Fluent and, and just how serendipitous that it turned out to be a passion design, what you love. And then that became your business, this business that is just incredible in terms of all different things we've talked about. But how does that feel? It must just, you know, as hard as it may have been that Fluent initially you, you had issues with, but then now you're doing something where you had a passion for this always, and you're doing so much good and bringing it to other people. How's that feel? It has been a really wandering path. Like sometimes it seems like things happen for no reason, but I think it, the theme in there is really opening yourself up to new ideas and new opportunities and fully embracing them, particularly in failure. So when something like Fluent happens and you don't get funding for your business or when something like Google Wave happens and this huge product that everyone thought would be successful kind of falls in a giant heap. There's still good that comes out of that and opportunity that comes out of that. And quite often it's the people. I'm somewhat of an introvert, so I'm, I'm not going to like make 15 friends as soon as I walk into a bar. But every time I push myself to make a new connection with someone, learn about their ideas, what they're interested in, where they're heading, what their vision is, every time I've done that, it has been valuable. And it's those connections which have helped me leapfrog from 
my own design agency to being at Google to running a startup to meeting Mel and Cliff to unlocking all the opportunities that we've had at Canva. And if that's the one piece of advice I could offer people is to really embrace those connections and build that network and create a whole host of really diverse and varied people that you talk to and share ideas with and listen to because that is really where the magic happens and where innovation and new ideas come from. Yeah, I love how you talk about your track record and history and looking back and taking the positive from those experiences, even though at the time it must have been so difficult, you know, understanding as an entrepreneur how difficult it is. You lose a deal, you don't get funding, and but then it turns into something that's even better, right? And it sounds like you really like you talked about at the beginning, the roller coaster, right? Of being an entrepreneur. And it's just an incredible journey that you've been on. And I want to ask you one last, last question before I let you go. And I know you just mentioned you're an introvert, which I never would have guessed because you seem good at these podcasts. If your wife didn't push you or ask you or tell you to go meet with your two partners, now, do you think you would have done that on your own? I don't think I would have, but that's part of why we're a good team together, why we're good partners. We push each other, we fit well together, we know what our strengths and our weaknesses are. And she is exceptionally good at pointing out the opportunities to me and giving me that little nudge to to take them on. And I think that's that's kind of why I'm married to her, is like she she makes life interesting and she definitely makes life better. Yeah. I'm sure she uses it sometimes when she's got to remind you that I don't she, know, always, not, she always not... uses it. She always uses it when she wants to get more animals. So she's a bit of an animal <laughs> nut and oh, we've, awesome. we've collected way too many animals now, but I have a hard time saying no. <laughs> I love it. Well, Cam, thank you so much. Incredible story, incredible business you've built. And I can't wait to see where you take it. And just in in the next few years, it really seems like you guys are kind of taking over 110 million people. That's, That's amazing. It's impressive. Thank you, Robert. It's been a real pleasure chatting. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman just a fellow entrepreneur 
and your host. See you soon.